0: Let's turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 5. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number 5. And we'll begin reading this morning in verse number 21. And I'm going to read down to verse number 43. Alright, so beginning in verse number 21, I'll read down to verse number 43, which will cover a section... Of Scripture that I, that I covered last week, so keep that in mind as we read. Uh, verse number 21, the Bible says, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him. And he was nigh unto the sea, and, behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him. And much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind, and touched his garment." But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further?' And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha, kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. And commanded that something should be given her to eat. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. And God, we're privileged to be able to come before your word again this morning on this Lord's Day. God, I pray, Lord, that we would never take lightly this privilege, this opportunity, this blessing of gathering with fellow believers. And Lord, just lifting up our voices in praise to you. And God, opening up your word and learning more about who you are, God. And all the great things that you have done. God, I pray that our response this morning would be one of adoration. God, it would be one of worship, would be one of praise, would be one of submission, Lord, to you. Father God, I do pray that you'd have your will and way in this sermon. And Lord, in the remainder of this service. God, I pray you'd work in hearts, Lord. God, I pray if there's anyone here today, Lord, who has never Lord, repented and believed the gospel. God, I pray today would be that day, Lord, when they would call upon Christ. And that they would find full and free salvation in Jesus Christ alone. God, I pray for believers here this morning. God, I pray you would strengthen them spiritually. God, I pray you'd grow them spiritually. God, I pray you'd help them, Lord, to, uh, to have attentive hearts. And, Lord, to receive the truth that is before us in your word. Lord, there's, there's so much here before us. And, God, I pray you would just help me, Lord, as I teach and as I preach this morning. God, I pray you just give me clarity in my thoughts and in my words. And, God, help me, Lord, to say all you'd have me to say, Lord, nothing more and nothing less. And God, I pray that Christ would be honored, that Christ would be glorified in all that is said and all that is done. And Lord, in our response to your word, we have your will and way now, I pray, receive all glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this morning, we want to pick up where we left off last time, here in Mark chapter number 25. And if you would look with me at verse number 21. Verse number 21 and you'll notice, again, if you were here last week, again, I preached not beginning in verse 21, but I began in verse number 25. So last week I preached, again, I didn't deal with verses 21 down to verse number 24. I began in verse number 25, and I preached down to verse number 34. And what we have here is a unique passage. Again, it's at least a unique passage to preach. Because what you have here is a miracle within a miracle. You have the broader miracle The miracle that we're going to be taking a look at today. But within that miracle, you have another miracle. And that is the healing of this woman with the issue of blood. Again, who by faith reached out to Christ and was healed both physically but also spiritually as well. And as we saw last week, again, we see that Jesus has just returned to the western side of the Sea of Galilee. Again, he has been rejected. Again, he uh, cast out the demons of the man in the country of the Gadarenes. Again, he changed his life. He transformed him. But remember, the people of the gatherings, they didn't want Jesus. They rejected Christ, and therefore Christ took him at their word. They asked him to leave, and that's exactly what he did. He got in the boat. He went back to the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And whenever he arrived on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, the crowds were waiting for him. The Bible says the crowds were thronging him. They They were pressing in upon him. The crowds were great. But we find here in verse number 21 and following that Jesus' focus in the next few verses is not upon the crowds. It is upon two people in particular. Jesus has, you could say, a divine appointment with two people that are in the crowds who are seeking after Christ, who have a great need and who will find Jesus as the one who alone can meet the great need that they have. That is Jairus. And that is the woman here that we spoke of last week. Take a look at verse number 21 with me. The Bible says, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, again, that's the other side of the sea, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. Now, last week we dealt with this woman with the issue of blood, but this week I want to focus in on a man by the name of Jairus. And we're not going to take the time to do it this morning, but if you, would, if you would look at the two lives and set them side by side, this woman and Jairus, you would find that there was not much similarity between these two. There's actually quite a bit of difference between the woman and Jairus. But they had one thing in common. For all their differences, they had one thing in common, and that was they needed the Lord Jesus Christ. They needed Christ. They had a great need that only Christ could fulfill, that only Jesus Christ could meet. And they sought out Christ. They found Christ. They found healing. They found, again, transformation and mercy within their life. And this really teaches us and reminds us of a very important truth if you contrast these two people. And the truth is the fact that all people, whether it's Jairus or whether it's this woman, and whether it's men, whether it's women, whether it's rich, whether it's poor, whether it's as somebody who is, again, who is well-known, somebody who is more prestigious within their community like Jairus, or whether it's an anonymous woman. The Bible doesn't even tell us her name here, and who suffered and who was really a social outcast and couldn't even attend the synagogue because of this disease, because of this issue that she had for all these years. So, again, there wasn't much in common at all except for one thing, and that was their need, and that is the common factor amongst all people. Again, all people have a great need, and that need is the Lord Jesus Christ. They need him for forgiveness. They need him for cleansing. Again, they need him for regeneration. They need him for salvation. Again, all people, regardless of who they are, again, whether they're rich, whether they're poor, their social status, their need is the Lord Jesus And that is what we find here in these verses, beginning uh, with the woman last week, but also with Jairus, as we'll see this morning. So let's go ahead. Let's begin with our first point here. And what we find is a desperate plea that is made by Jairus. Uh, Take a look at verse number 22 down to verse number 23. The Bible says, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. So let's consider Jairus for a little bit. Let's consider again this, this man here who Jesus is about to help. The first thing I want us to consider is the exalted position that Jairus had. Again, this woman was really in the eyes of society, was really a nobody. She was an outcast. She was anonymous. We don't even know really much about her except for that she had this issue of blood and that she was healed by Christ. Jairus, on the other hand, Jairus was prestigious. Jairus was well known. Jairus had, again, was was of high rank within his community because of the position that he held. We find here that Jairus was a ruler, one of the rulers of the synagogue. Meaning, again, as he ruled the synagogue, it means he directed it. He officiated it. Again, he would be, he would be one of those that was responsible for overseeing the, the organizational uh, uh, aspects of the synagogue, the business aspects of the synagogue, but even uh, the religious aspects of the synagogue as well. All right, so Jairus was a well-known person. Right, Jairus had a very important role within his community. Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. But something else I want to point out is the fact that Jairus was unique. Because of the fact that most of the, most of the religious leaders of Christ's day, what did they do? They rejected Christ as the Messiah. But there were a few exceptions, and the Bible records those exceptions, some of those exceptions for us. Jairus is one of those exceptions. Here's a religious leader, again, that, that bowed his knee to Christ, that sought mercy from Christ but also and Nicodemus we're not going to look at Nicodemus this morning but Nicodemus would be another example of a religious man in his society that again that believed upon Christ as the Messiah so we find here that Jairus had an exalted position but the second thing we see here is that that Jairus had a humble posture Jairus had a humble posture you know Jairus could easily have have let his position have let his responsibilities as ruler of the synagogue, he could have let that easily get to his head. To the point where he, again, he could have uh, concluded that, again, what need do I have of, of, of this person named Jesus Christ, of the Son of God? Again, I'm a religious leader. Again, I'm a religious ruler. I know the law of God. Again, Jairus could have allowed pride to get in the way, but we find here that Jairus remained humble. And we see this humility in the fact that whenever he came to Christ, what did he do? He fell at the feet of Christ. He fell at the feet of Christ. The gospel of Matthew tells us also that he worshiped Christ. So Jairus came humbly and Jairus came reverently to Jesus Christ. You know, Jairus is the opposite of many people in our society and both in his day and also in in our day as well. And really, the you could, again, I think you can conclude from the word of God that one of the number one obstacles that keeps people from coming to Christ is pride. Again, it's the pride that is in their heart that bars them from humbling themselves. Again, whether you're gyrus or whether you're this woman, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, again, everybody has to come to Christ the same way. They have to come humbly. They have to come with childlike faith to Christ. In Psalm 10, verse 4, the Bible says the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. What is it that is the obstacle that the verse speaks of? It is the pride of man. It is pride. Mankind will not humble himself before God. But we find here that Jairus would humble himself. And the Bible pronounces blessing upon those who humble themselves. In the sight of a holy God, Isaiah 57, verse 15, the Bible says, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. But notice this. All right. God is the high and holy one. He's the lofty one. He dwells in a high and holy place. But who does he dwell with? The verse continues. It says with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. So God, who is high and holy and lifted up, again, God, who is the high and lofty one, who does he dwell with? Not the proud, but the humble. Those who are broken over their sin. Those who are repentant. Those who have a contrite heart. Those who humble themselves before God, in God pronounces blessing upon them again in the new testament the bible makes it clear god resists the proud god gives grace unto the humble and whenever a person comes to christ to receive his mercy they must come humbly uh, they must come as a, as as with, with the humility of a child and they must come self-abasing christ-exalting as we sing in one of our songs can they must come reverently recognizing who god is his exalted position He is God, he is Lord, he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the Savior and Redeemer of mankind. They must come reverently, recognizing who he is. We find that Jairus did uh, did that exact thing. As we continue on, we also find that Jairus had a desperate need. Jairus had a desperate need. The Bible tells us that when Jairus came to Christ, he, he besought Christ greatly, he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. Now, that is a desperate situation to be in. Jairus has a great need. In the Gospel of Luke, it tells us that he only had one daughter, about 12 years of age. And the Bible says, and she lay a dying. So we find that his daughter was literally on death's doorstep. So Jairus came to Christ, and the Bible says he besought Christ. He pleaded with Christ. He prayed to Christ. Again, he came with a sense of urgency. There was no time to waste. He came with a sense of passion. Again, my daughter's about to die. Please come and please heal my daughter. Not just his daughter, but his only daughter. His 12-year-old daughter. Let's continue on, though. We also see that Jairus had a Godward faith jairus had a godward faith he entreated christ he again that that he would come that he would lay hands upon his daughter so that what does the bible says say it says so that she may be healed that was what jairus said in verse number 23 i pray thee come lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and notice here and she shall live he said it with a sense of certainty He didn't say, come and lay your hands on her so she she might live. No, he recognized that Jesus Christ had within himself inherent power to come and to heal his daughter, lay his hands upon his daughter, and, and cause her to live. Bring her back from the doorstep of death. He recognized that Christ and Christ alone was his hope. Christ and Christ alone was the only one who could help him in this desperate situation. I mean, think of Jairus. Jairus loved his daughter. Jairus was, was likely again, a, a man who, again, had great means in life. He was a man who had great uh, prestige and he was well known in life. He was a religious man. He, he likely knew much of the law of God. Yet for all those things that Jairus had, again, there was one thing Jairus couldn't do. As much as he loved his daughter, there was one thing he couldn't do. And that was he couldn't, again, he couldn't help his daughter. In what a desperate situation that he was in. Only Jesus could raise her up from the point of death. Let me make an application here. I think we have here a good lesson to parents of children. And the Bible makes it clear that our children come into this world, again, they are spiritually dead. And they are in desperate need of spiritual life. And as a parent, as a Christian, I recognize that the greatest need that my child has is is not wealth is not fame is not again is is not to be a good business person is not all these things again that, that that may some of them may be fine in and of themselves but their greatest need is christ their greatest need is spiritual life again they may not have anything in this world they may not have a penny to their name but if they have christ they have everything again and we need to grasp that reality as parents The greatest need of my child, again, is that they would be made alive in Christ, is that they would be born again by the Spirit of God, is that they would be saved by the grace of God. But as a parent, as much as I love my child, again, I I, I bring up my children in the nurture, the admonition of the Lord. I know there's one thing I can do as much as I want them saved. I recognize there's one thing I can do. I can teach them about Christ. I can show them the truths of the gospel. But we find here there's one thing that I cannot do. And again, that is is the the same exact thing we see here with Jairus' daughter. Again, I cannot give them spiritual life. And that is a work of God. They need spiritual life from above. But notice here, Jairus came to Christ. He pleaded with Christ. He besought Christ. He prayed to Christ to come and to raise up his daughter. And I think this is a good reminder for parents here. Again, do you plead with God? Again, do you, do you seek? Again, do you uh, come before the throne of God? Beseeching the Lord, God, please save my children. God, please save my children. God, please, again, help them to, to find the, the, uh, and to receive this, this gift of salvation. To receive your mercy. Again, the most important thing you can pray for your children, even grandparents, for your grandchildren. And even if you have grown children out of the house, again, they're far from God. They don't know the Lord. Maybe they're not, maybe they're not saved. Again, the greatest thing you can pray for them is that they would know God and that they would live for God. That is the greatest thing you can pray for them. I ask parents, again, grandparents, even parents with grown children. How much time do you spend praying for the salvation of your children? Do you pray with passion? Do you pray with a sense of fervency? Do you pray regularly that God would intervene in their life and that God would save them by His grace? They have a great need, and Christ is the need that they have, and redemption in Christ. Let's continue on though. In verses 24 down to verse number 34, we find that there is a divine interruption. A divine interruption. Take a look at verse 24. And Jesus went with him. And much people followed him and thronged him. So we find here Jairus comes to Christ. Again, he beseeches Christ, come and heal my daughter. Come and lay your hands upon my daughter, and she shall be healed. So Jesus, again, uh, again decides to come with Jairus. And I'm sure that Jairus is overjoyed. Again, the the hope for my daughter has come. Again, my daughter is going to be okay. She's going to live. Again, Christ is coming to my house. We're in route right now going to where my daughter lies. Again, at the point of death, and she is going to be raised up again. She is going to be healed. But what happens in verse 25? I'm not going to read those verses again. We dealt with those last week, but we find, verse 25, And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things and many physicians, Again, it's spent all that she had, and nothing was better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. Now, last week, again, we dealt with the woman. Uh, we, 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 we looked at the account from her perspective, in a sense. Whereas tonight, or this morning, we're going to take a look at it from Jairus' perspective. Again, as you read verses 25 through 34, think about Jairus. You know, we often forget about Jairus in these passages and just think about the woman and think, again, this is awesome. This is great. This woman suffered for 12 years and Jesus heals her. Again, praise the Lord. Glory to God. But what about Jairus? I mean, Jairus is just standing here as this is going on, and he's probably wondering, Lord, don't you know? You know, we don't have a lot of time to spare. Don't you know my, again, I, I didn't say that my daughter's sick and, you know, she, she, she again, could get worse and, you know, could die again, if she doesn't get treatment. No, he, again, he recognizes my daughter's at the point of death. There's no time to waste. Again, we got to be urgent, Lord. We got to get to my house. Don't you know? Again, my, my only daughter is about to die because, again, of the sickness that she has. And so Jairus, again, is, is, is probably a little bit confused. And don't you know, Lord, again, why are we stopping, Lord? We don't have time for this. Come back and come back and deal with her later. Come back and heal this one later. We don't have time for this, Lord. And we see this interruption. Everything comes to an abrupt halt. As Jesus and Jairus are en route to his house to heal his daughter, everything comes to an abrupt halt. And Jairus is probably concerned jairus is probably wondering again when are we going to my house again we don't have time to waste we don't have time for this woman come back later heal her but we don't have time for her We're, we we have a place to be okay, but notice here something i want to point out here is the fact that okay, don't forget about jairus in these verses here you know, jesus in this passage from verse 21 down to verse number 43 again jesus again always did the will of the father we see that throughout his earthly ministry and we find here that jesus had two divine appointments not just one right, not just with Jairus, but also with this woman this woman with the issue of blood all right so this was not an interruption in christ's schedule this may have seemed like an interruption in Jairus' schedule but this was this may have seemed like a delay a delay in Jairus' schedule but it wasn't a delay it wasn't an interruption in the schedule for christ This was part of God's plan. This was part of God's appointment. And we find here that when Jesus heals this woman, again, in this divine interruption, again, Jesus' healing of this woman was really twofold. It was to show compassion to the woman and to heal a woman who had a legitimate need, who came to Christ for help, and Christ blessed her faith by healing her, again, of this this, uh, issue of blood that she had. But like I said, don't forget about Jairus. I also think there was a purpose for Jairus too, as Jairus watched on. Jairus is now a bystander. All right, He's watching on. He's seen this whole scene unfold. And Again, I believe here that we can conclude, again, that Jesus also has a purpose for Jairus in this too. And that is the fact that Jesus is, 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 is teaching Jairus, Jairus, look at my power. Look at the miracle that I just performed. Again, have faith in me. Trust in me. Wait on me, Jairus. Again, we'll be to your house soon. Your daughter will be fine. Can trust in me. Will you wait on me? Will you will you believe in me? Will you believe that my plans are all wise? Will you believe that I know the end from the beginning? Again, will you know that, again, whatever I do is always right? Will you believe that, Jairus? Will you trust in me? Jairus here is being taught to trust in God, to be, in, to, be uh, to, to trust in the wisdom of God, to trust in the power of God. Gyrus here is being taught to wait on the Lord. And this is a lesson God wants all of us to learn. There's, there's many times in life where we have a certain plan in mind, or we have certain prayer requests that we bring to God, and God allows a divine interruption to, to come right into our plans, right? Or God allows a divine delay... Again, whenever we, uh, again, God responds to our prayer requests with a divine delay. And God uses those things to teach us, to teach us to trust in him, to teach us to lean upon him, to teach us to trust in his infinite wisdom. But the question is, will we trust in him? I'm sure that Jairus had many thoughts going through his mind as this woman is being healed. Again, hopefully, and again, as we'll see this, this will be Played out in Jairus' life again. That the fact that Jesus Christ was in total control of the situation. Jesus Christ had not forgotten about Jairus. Jesus Christ had not forgotten about Jairus' daughter. Jesus Christ would raise up his daughter. He would heal her, his daughter. But he just needed to wait. He needed to trust. He needed to rely upon the Lord. Let's continue on, though. Verses 35 through 36, we find that there is a devastating message. A devastating message. Take a look at verse 35. And consider the fact that Jesus Christ has just stopped. All right? He was on his way to Jairus' house. His daughter is at the point of death. But there's this divine interruption. Everything comes to an abrupt halt as Jesus heals this woman. In verse number 35, we pick up reading here. And it says, While he yet spake, he was speaking to the woman he had just healed. The Bible says, There came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain. Which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? So while while Jairus is waiting for Christ to finish up this miracle that he is performing for this woman, a messenger from from Jairus' house comes to him and tells him some devastating news Jairus, your daughter is dead. Jairus, your daughter has died. Don't trouble the master anymore. There's no use. There's no point from a mere human perspective. A situation that was bad now just got worse. A situation that was hopeful just became hopeless. And what was Christ going to do now? I mean surely again this was this was this crossed the line. She was past the point of no return. There's no way Christ could help her now according to the messenger we find here the messenger assumed that the power of christ again only applied or only could be seen in the life of this girl as long as she was alive and it was actually take your bibles turn to john 11 this is actually a very similar response to how martha and mary responded to christ with the raising of lazarus the brother and john 11 we'll take a look at verse number 21 and verse number 32 here But this messenger, again, in the case of Jairus, assumes that now that she is dead, Christ can't help her anymore. As if death is is, is too much of a problem for Christ. John 11, verse 21. The context here, again, is what we read uh, with our scripture reading, the healing of Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. John 11, verse 21. Notice here. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Don't you know, Lord, that if you got here earlier, again, we wouldn't be in this situation. Don't you know, Lord, if you intervened quicker, again, we wouldn't be in this situation. My brother wouldn't be dead. Jump down to verse number 32. Verse number 32. Not only Martha, but Mary. Verse 32, then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Alright, so same exact phrase. Martha and Mary, they, they reacted the same way that this messenger has reacted here. Again, if you turn back to Mark chapter number five. Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. It's too late. What can we do now? There was hope, Lord, but now the situation is hopeless, don't you know? Again, there's nothing we can do at this point. But we find that this is often, not just in the case of Lazarus, but here in Mark chapter number five, we find that this is often how Christ would work. This is often how Christ would do things. He would often allow a situation to become uh, more bleak, more hopeless, more desperate, because it provided him a greater platform to show people the magnitude of his power. And that's what we see here in chapter number five. It has been wisely stated that God, that our extremities are God's opportunities. Again, our extremities are God's opportunities. And in this case here in Mark five, but also in the case of Lazarus, Jesus purposely waited for death to seize upon these people in order to show his power even in. Over death. I mean, Lazarus had been dead for four days. And Martha and Mary think the situation is hopeless. And the messenger thinks the situation is hopeless. Don't trouble the master anymore. It's too late. Your daughter's dead. You can let him go. Let him go on his way. Don't trouble him. And we don't need the master, again, to come anymore. Because the situation, again, has gone from bad to worse. But take a look at verse number 36. And notice what Jesus does for Jairus. Again, Jairus has faith in Christ. He has a God word faith. And we find here that Jesus rewards his faith by reassuring him with words of comfort, again, in this, in this moment of tragedy. In verse 36, the Bible says, And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, that's Jairus, he says, Be not afraid, only believe. So Jesus, again, doesn't turn to the messenger and say, actually, actually, again, again, the situation isn't hopeless. All right. No, he turns to Jairus, the one with the believing heart, and says, Jairus, don't be afraid. Can Jairus only believe, lean upon me, trust in me, can rely upon me, even in a time of of, of great desperation and what seems to be a great loss? Luke 8:50, the Bible, the parallel passage, Jesus said to him, fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. So whenever the situation became more bleak and more desperate, Jesus reassured Jairus that everything was going to be okay. Jesus reassured Jairus that he was in control of the situation. Jesus assured Jairus again that that again, his will was going to be completed and that his daughter would live. He says, again, only believe. Don't give in to fear. Have faith, Jairus. Don't focus on the problem. Don't focus on the desperate situation. Don't focus upon what appears to be a, a, a hopeless, insurmountable obstacle you're facing. Focus upon me. rely upon me. Trust in me. Lean upon me during this time. Have faith, Jairus, when all seems lost. Trust in me. Believe upon me. Rely upon me. In the account of raising, where Christ raised up Lazarus from the dead, Jesus offered similar words of reassurance and a call to faith. Notice here in John 11. You don't have to turn there. John 11, verse 40. Jesus saith unto her, that is Martha, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe... Thou shouldest see the glory of God. Again, believe and you'll see the glory of God. Again, here Christ could have said, again, uh, believe and you'll see the power of God on full display. You're about to see the power of God. Jairus, believe upon me. Don't be afraid. Again, I want to apply this just briefly by by mentioning the fact that fear is the natural response to. To circumstances like this. Okay. Fear is the natural response to circumstances that seem to be outside of our control. That seem to be insurmountable. That seem to be impossible to overcome. But just as Jesus called Jairus to faith, so he calls us to faith. Again, in a similar fashion, he calls us to be not afraid. Again, don't give in to fear. Only believe. Have faith. In me. Why is that? Because you can't respond, again, in faith and fear at the same time. Faith and fear cannot reside in the same heart at the same time. But the human heart, oh, it naturally gives in to fear. It's so quick to give in to fear. It's so quick to give up. It's so quick to give in to unbelief. But Jesus says to us in these, again, in in, in situations where, again, we are facing some insurmountable, impossible situation, some problem in life. He calls us to faith. He calls us to believe. Don't give in to fear. And what does fear do? Fear causes us to focus on the seeming impossibilities and insurmountable problems around us. I'll give you a couple of examples of this, of what this may look like. You know, there may be a parent who says, you know, my child is far too gone. Too far from God. What's the use? What's the use in praying for them? They're too far into sin. There's no way that they can be saved. They've heard the truth. They've heard the gospel. Again, there's no way. They've rejected the light. There's no way they can be saved. That is what the, how fear responds. Again, like a married couple may respond, you know, there's, there's no way God can heal or mend my broken marriage. So I'm giving up. I'm throwing in the towel. That's how fear responds. And somebody who deals with a believer who deals with a besetting sin may say, you know, there's there's no way I can get victory over the sin in my life. I just keep falling into it again and again and again. I give up. What's the use in fighting against it? Somebody may say there's no way that I can share my faith with others. So I'm just going to stay silent. I'm not going to step out in faith and trust God. I'm just going to keep my faith to myself, keep it hidden, hide the light that Christ has called me to shine. Again, there's no way I could do that. Again, what are all those responses? Those are responses of fear. Those are natural responses, but those are sinful responses. Again, God calls us to faith. Faith responds differently. Here's what faith says. Faith says, again, I know the situation is difficult. Faith says, I know, again, this, this problem in front of me is seemingly insurmountable. Again, it seems impossible that, that anything can change the course again, of, of this or that, whatever the problem is. There's, there's no way. Again, I again I, I again I again I know that again these problems are in my life. Again, and I again they, they seem to be obstacles and they seem to be things that I cannot overcome. But faith responds by yes, recognizing those things, but also recognizing the fact that I serve a God who can help me. I serve a God. Who specializes in the impossible. All right? I serve a God who specializes in overcoming the seemingly insurmountable problems that I am facing. And faith chooses to look to God. Faith chooses to look to God's power. To rely upon him. To trust in him. And to walk by faith. You know, faith says this. You know, My child may be wayward, far from God. But I'll keep praying one day after another after another, and I'm not going to stop as long as I have breath. I'm going to be praying. I'll be praying for that child because I know that God can do a miracle of grace within their heart. You know, again, faith responds this way. Faith says, yes, my marriage may be difficult. There may be, again, things that, that that need to be mended in my marriage. But I serve a God who is in the restoration business. And who is able to heal, again, even the most broken marriages. Again, faith responds this way. There may be some besetting sin that I struggle with. But I serve a God who has equipped me with his spirit and his word as a believer to overcome that sin. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Again, we are overcomers in Christ. We can't overcome sin in our life. We don't have to be in bondage to sin. Christ has saved us. Again, he has broken that power of sin within our life. There is power in Christ to overcome sin. No faith responds this way. Sharing my faith with others, again, it may scare me to death. Again, it may scare me to death to open my mouth, to share the gospel with somebody, to hand out a gospel tract. But I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to step out in faith, trusting God to help me, even in my weakness, knowing that he can't strengthen me. And knowing that he blesses faith, knowing that he blesses, again, not fear, but he blesses faith when we step out trusting in him. And in today's passage, we find here, again, in the midst of a a, a humanly impossible situation, Jesus called Jairus to faith. Believe in me. Trust in me. Don't give in to fear. I ask you this morning again, how will you respond Maybe it's not this exact situation here, but it's some other situation. Maybe it's one of the situations or uh, some similar situation. Uh, Again, with the examples that I gave, I I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, again, how do you respond? You respond by saying, again, I I give up. What's the use? I'm going to throw in the towel. Or do you say, yes, the circumstances are difficult. Again, they they seem to be impossible to overcome. But I trust an all-powerful God. I trust a God who 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 specializes in overcoming the seemingly impossible. Let's continue on, though. Verse number 37 down to verse number 43. We find here that there is a delightful result. Verse 37. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him and entereth in, where the damsel is lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and saith unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it. And commanded that something should be given her to eat. So we find here whenever Jesus arrived on the scene. Jesus finally makes it to Jairus' house. And what's happening? We find here that the funeral has already begun. Funerals in Bible times and in Eastern cultures are are a lot different than our our, our modern westernized funeral. And modern westernized funerals are often somber and, and quiet and reflective times. Uh, whereas funerals in the East or Eastern cultures, especially in in, in times like this, were very different. Uh, they were characterized not by a, a sense of, of of somberness and quietness, but again, they were very loud. A loud wailing and crying and and weeping. And uh, again, what's interesting, and this kind of we don't really understand this because we don't do this in our Westernized culture, is what people would often do is they would hire professional mourners. All right, they would bring in people who weren't even who probably didn't even know this person, uh, just to mourn. You know, just to create an atmosphere of mourning and they would again, they would well and they would weep and they would make a great commotion. They would bring in musicians that would play uh, very somber music to set the atmosphere uh, again, of, of mourning uh, for the funeral. And that's what we find here going on in these verses. So consider a couple of things with me. First of all, consider the unbelieving mourners, the unbelieving mourners. Whenever Jesus came into the house, Peter, James, John uh, jairus and his wife also came um, into the house as well the bible says here that there was a tumult all right that, that simply means there was it was loud all right it was it was uh, there was an uproar there was a loud noise The people were were not quiet and reflective no again it was a great commotion people crying loudly Matthew 9, 23, the Bible says, Jesus saw the minstrels and the people making a noise. So The scene was loud. It was chaotic. It was, uh, you know, it was characterized by loud and vocal expressions of, of grief and of sorrow over the loss of this girl. And I'm sure that some of it may have been sincere grieving. Uh, but some of it, and especially with the context of that time frame, as they would hire professional mourners to come in. I'm sure some of that was also superficial uh, mourning as well. And Jesus comes in. He says to these mourners, why make ye this ado and weep? He says, the damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. So Jesus says, why are you making this great noise? Why are you making this great commotion? This noisy clamor, don't you know she is not dead? She merely sleeps. Take your Bibles, turn to John 11 again. In John 11, Jesus here is using the metaphor of sleep uh, to describe the temporary state of death that this girl was in. Jesus spoke of Lazarus the same way. John 11, verse 11, uh, down to verse number 14. Notice here, it says, These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. All right, so again, they understood it to mean He's just taking a rest. Again, he'll be fine. But Jesus explains how he is using this word. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent he may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. All right, turn back to Mark chapter number five. So Jesus here in a similar way, um, as we just read in John 11, in a similar way uses the metaphor of sleep to describe this girl's temporary uh, death, a state of death that she was in. Again, the people here, as Christ again tells them, why make you this to do and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. Notice how the people respond. They go from a mourning and weeping and wailing in a great and vocal way. To mocking Christ, to, to having scorn against him. And that tells you that much of this was probably a superficial weeping that was going on. All right. Again, much of this was probably the professional mourners, which uh, with Jairus' status, there would have likely been many of them who would have come to this funeral here. But Jesus turns to them, says, she's not dead. She sleepeth. And the Bible says they laughed him to scorn. They laughed him to scorn. So Jesus responded, the Bible says, by putting them out. They don't have a heart to believe. All right. They, they again, they, they're, they're, their grief is superficial. We find here again that they don't have believing hearts and Christ expels them from the house before performing this miracle. And we find here the fact that their lack of faith barred them from witnessing the power of God. And next week, again, if you want to read ahead in Mark six, we're going to deal with again what Jesus says again about a, about a lack of belief. How again, many, many things again in verse six, for example, of, of, of Mark six, and he marveled because of their unbelief and he went around about the villages teaching. All right. So Christ would often again withhold many of his miracles from people because of their lack of belief. And we find that in and we'll see that next week in Mark six. But we also see that here as he expelled these unbelievers, you could say, out of the house. Uh, But let's consider, secondly, the powerful master. Verses 40 down to verse 43. And they laughed him to scorn, but when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him. Who was with him? His disciples, that inner group of disciples. And entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. So Jesus here is speaking. You probably don't recognize those those words there. Jesus here is speaking in Aramaic, which would have been the common language of that day. Again, that these these Jews would have spoken in. And he tells the girl in Aramaic to arise. Right, he says, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And notice verse 42. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great Astonishment. So in an instant, in a moment of time, again, she was dead, but she had been brought back to life by the word of Christ. Again, Christ called her to arise, and she arose from the dead. And the Bible says the people were astonished. Jairus, his wife, James, John, and the disciples that were there with him, they were astonished and amazed at the power of, of Christ. Again, this is really a—we're not going to delve into this— in depth this morning, but this is really a powerful picture of what happens when a person gets saved. Uh, the Bible makes it clear that we are again before Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sins. But Jesus Christ through the gospel quickens us alive. He gives us life, Ephesians 2:5. He makes us alive in Christ. And how can He do that? Because He is God, and because He holds the keys of death. Uh, of, of, of death and of hell because he is the resurrection and the life just as the Bible says Revelation 1:18. Jesus says I am he that liveth and was dead and behold I am alive forevermore amen and have the keys of hell and of death John 11:25. Jesus said unto her I am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me though he were dead yet shall he live there is life in Christ By believing upon the name of Jesus Christ, there is life. And God can quicken us through the gospel. And by faith in the gospel, just as this girl was was raised from death to life, God can do the same thing spiritually the moment we believe the truth of the gospel. Now, As we conclude this morning, again, I had a hard time trying to figure out how to apply this in conclusion Because really, there's a a lot of things here. There's a lot of ways that this could be concluded. So I just want to summarize a couple of things that I said um, as we conclude this morning. And the first thing I want us to take note of is the fact that Jairus had faith. Jairus had faith in Christ. He sought out Christ. He had this Godward faith. He had this faith in Christ. And his faith led him to do whatever it took to bring Christ to his daughter. Jairus (laughs) recognized that not only his hope, but his daughter's only hope was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came, he came to Christ. He pleaded with Christ, "Please come, heal my daughter, raise up my daughter, lay your hands upon her." And in a similar fashion. Again, this, this reminds parents and even grandparents, again, we must pray earnestly. We must pray fervently. We must pray regularly for the salvation of children or grandchildren that do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. But, I mean, even those that are saved, continue praying for them. Again, pray that God would help them to, uh, to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, do you pray for those children? Do you pray for those grandchildren? There may not be much that you can give them in this life. There may not be much of an inheritance you can leave behind for them, but you can leave behind them the most important inheritance, and that is a spiritual inheritance. The inheritance of the Word of God and the inheritance of prayer. Again, praying for them on a regular basis, praying that God would move and work within their lives. We also saw this morning the importance of responding to difficult situations Seemingly impossible obstacles with not with fear, but with faith. Again, whenever we have obstacles, again, when we respond in fear, what do we do? We give up. We throw in the towel. We complain. Maybe we again, maybe we, we ask God why or we question God or we become upset. And the question is, how do we respond? Do we respond in fear and again and, and again, do those things I just mentioned? Or do we respond in faith saying, God, I may not understand the situation It's a difficult situation. There's things that in my power that I can't overcome, but God, I know that you can. God, you can perform miracles. And God, you can perform miracles, again, in in lives of even those that are far away from you. God, you are the God who specializes in the impossible. What do you do? What do you do when you face seemingly impossible obstacles? Insurmountable obstacles. Do you turn to the Lord? Do you trust in him? Do you refocus your gaze upon him? Do you trust in his unfailing wisdom? Again, do you lean upon him? Do you anchor your heart to the promises of God and plead with him and cry out to him and walk with him and draw nigh to him? And then lastly, I ask you this morning, again, are you saved? Again, are you saved? Uh, Has there ever been a time in your life when you have been born again? When you have gone from death to life, when you have believed the gospel, has there ever been a time in your life, again, when you have humbled yourself before God? And you have recognized that before a holy God, you are unclean and you are sinful. You are a lawbreaker. And that because of your sin, again, the Bible makes it clear the wages of sin is is death. But the Bible teaches us God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news of the gospel. That Jesus Christ came and he lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve to die. Again, and God calls all men everywhere to repent. To repent and believe the gospel. And if you say again, I don't think there's ever been a time in my life where I have gone spiritually from death to life. Then I urge you this morning to call upon Christ. To repent of your sins. To place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The one who alone can save you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And God, I pray you take the truth of your word this morning. And God, I pray you apply it to hearts. God, I pray, Lord, for believers here this morning. And God, I pray, Lord, you'd help them as they walk by faith. Lord, just to keep the rise upon you, to continue trusting in you. Lord, to continue bowing their knee before you, Lord, and, and Lord, coming before your throne. Lord, maybe somebody's facing some seemingly insurmountable obstacle. God, I pray, Lord, that they would look to you, that they would cry out to you, or that they would lean upon you, that they would anchor themselves to the truth of your word. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just, Lord, just grow believers, help them, Lord, just to trust in you in a greater way today, Father. God, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today who has never believed the gospel, God, I pray today would be the day, the day of salvation. God, I pray today would be the day when they would call upon Christ. God, when they would repent and when they would turn to Christ and find true, free, full salvation, redemption, forgiveness. God, I pray, Lord, today would be that glorious day when they would be born again. God, I pray you'd have your will and wait, God, as we close out this service. God, we love you. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you would, go to take your hymnals out.